This is ScreenBeam's Collaborative Tech Talks, discussing collaboration and better communication in the places where we learn the most. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Collaborative Tech Talks, a ScreenBeam podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate all of you listening along. As you're getting today's thought leadership, make sure that you are subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. You can also go to our website, screenbeam.com. Again, screenbeam.com. For more information on some of the technologies we'll be breaking down today, but of course, for more ScreenBeam thought leadership like articles, podcasts, videos, and more. So on today's episode of Collaborative Tech Talks, we're continuing some conversations we've had on the show on how the education community should prepare for an at-scale return to the classroom and how they can get the most out of federal relief dollars to support the classroom needs of tomorrow. Now that the most recent COVID relief package, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan of 2021, has been signed into law, there are even more funds that are funneling into the school system that education professionals can take advantage of for their classroom and broader infrastructure. However, maneuvering the requirements and strategizing around where to put that money is key and takes a lot of proactive decision making. So we're hoping to give you those tools with today's conversation, better understanding what back-to-school challenges will be in the 2021-2022 school year, and how to make the most of these fresh relief funds. So I'm pleased to welcome our two screen beam thought leaders for today's conversation. We've got David Lopez, Senior Manager of Strategic Alliances, and Megan Lipinzik, Strategic Alliance Manager Again, both with ScreenBeam. David, Megan, great to have you both on. How are y'all doing? Doing well, thank you. Doing great, thank you. Absolutely, real pleasure getting to chat with both of you. I'm looking forward to breaking this down and uh, pulling from your personal experiences on the topic, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Uh, Actually, we're going to get into it right now. (laughs) Uh, So I think it's important to lay this out early. Both of you are former teachers. And so I think that gives us a great uh, duality to the experience that you're bringing to the conversation today, obviously as being educators and then also education solutions providers. So first question is, what were both of you teaching back in the day? Give us that quick elevator pitch on your education background. We'll start with Megan. Thank you. So my teaching career began in Hillsborough County Public Schools. I taught grades two through five and um, also at the district level as well. In my final few years of teaching before I made the switch, I taught in a digital one-to-one environment um, at Turner Bartels K-8 school um, in New Tampa, Florida, a Microsoft showcase school. And I just have always been passionate about education, teaching, and technology, and it's kind of led me to where I am today. Yeah, and and for me, I I also taught in uh, elementary, at the elementary school level, for, for several years in, in technology and teaching students and using technology, but also um, ended up working at uh, for the district for Hillsborough County Schools as well. Megan and I actually worked together at our um, at Shaw mm-hmm. Elementary when we were there. And uh, but I also specialized in, in training. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also specialized in training teachers 
um, in technology at the district level for for several years, and and really um, you know enjoyed that part of it. And, and like Megan said, have always I've always had a uh, a need to use technology in the classroom and and find innovative ways to use it and um, and try to help teachers you know along that pathway as well because it doesn't come easy to everybody. Uh, so it, and as as we're more and more technologies put into the schools, it's something that um, you know some teachers need more help than others with. So it's it's a fun fun way to be able to engage with with teachers and students. And again, I feel like that experience in the classroom, uh, you know, I'm sure gives you both a lot of clarity on challenges that uh, teachers face in integrating and getting the most out of the technology in their classrooms. So I want to break down a few aspects of that here. When you were both still teachers, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in the integration process of bringing new technologies to the classroom? What were those biggest pain points you remember and why? So I'm going to go ahead and, and start on this one because uh, for me, the biggest challenge uh, I faced was making sure my students had what they needed to be successful. And, you know, I started teaching back in 2007 in Hillsborough County. And, you know, one of my classrooms one year had, had you know, essentially only one desktop computer. So with the help of, you know, some special people in, in, my, in, in my district, I was able to apply for technology for my classrooms, for my students to have through Donors Choose and something that I really believed in, um, it, giving my students access to devices. Because I saw that power of that, of using technology and using it purposely. And I, you know, I didn't want my students to be one-to-one or have devices just to have devices. I wanted them to feel empowered and with what they what they can do now and, you know, and that they have access to their own device. And keep in mind, this was all pre-COVID. Yeah. So, you know, now I, I just, right, I just really hope that, you know, and I, and I truly believe that just some districts are really doing the right thing and getting the right technology in the students' uh, hands. And that's, you know, where we can, can come in at with ScreenBeam and, and with our partners and be able to to help solve those, those problems for those educators, for those districts um, in that, you know, new contactless environment. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges I faced was, you know, I had access to technology um, to some because I taught in a, you know, like a computer lab type in, environment. But then it was like, you know, well that's a, that's a standard thing, right? So the labs have been around, you know, since I was in elementary school, which is a long time ago. Uh, you know, that we've had computer labs, but then how do you take that to this the next level? And facing that challenge sometimes on your own, like one of the things that I faced when I walked into my classroom was, you know, some technology that there was a smart board, but it was in a box, you know, hanging, you know, leaning up against a wall. And so I was like, well, you know, what do I do with that? How do I use that? Um, nobody was really there. I had to kind of seek out the the resources for that. I even installed it, you know, on the wall myself, right? And not saying that's not anything against, you know, the county. It was just one of those things that somebody didn't take the next step. And so finding ways to take that next step um, and and really then figuring out how to maximize the use of, of the technology. And so oftentimes teachers get left with those challenges in, in every class. And where I think screening comes into play is really looking at you know getting the most out of what they have. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves in, in talking about is you know allowing the, the, the technology to, the, to get out of the way of the teaching, uh, but still make sure you're maximizing the use of it. And that's a really 
can be a really powerful story for a lot of teachers. You mentioned obviously some of those challenges in getting the technology literally integrated into your classroom. What about resources for training around how to maximize the use of the technology? Did you feel those resources were in place to help you? Yes, no, why or why not? Uh, for for me, yes. I mean, I think they're there, uh, and I ended up working for that department um, when I when I left the school. Um, and so it's great to know someone. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think not. It's not equal, right? So you know, I was really. I think Megan and I were really blessed to work in a county like Hillsborough, and that there were a, a really large technology training department um, for the for the school district. But then I, I've been to other districts that were even bigger schools where there was no technology training, bigger districts, which it's hard to get bigger than Hillsborough County, but I've been to some of those where it's like, there's no there's no focus or emphasis on that. So that kind of thing is hit or miss, depending on the school, depending on the location, depending on the initiatives that the districts at that time were really putting out. Uh, but now it's like all those districts who were, were behind in being able to do that are even further behind because of the current situation. Um, I felt like the resources were good, but, you know, they can always be better. Megan, what do you think? Right. No, I, I agree 100 percent. And I feel like, you know, I felt for the teachers and the educators during that time because there's, you know, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, it was like teachers were drinking out of a fire hose with, with this stuff that they were inundated with. And, you know, that's something too. like, you know, the resources were in place. Like I also am a, a professional learning specialist for NCCE and helped, you know, educators, for example, in, in New York City and, and on trainings and helping them, you know, get to where they needed to be to essentially be what they can be for their, their students. And I, you know, they are just a great group of educators, you know, on their own time sometimes getting this extra PD because, you know, at the end, we all what want want what's best for students and that's why we're in this in in the first place. So, you know, I, I agree on, you know, that it's just there was a lot of lot of um things that they have to do to be able to to maximize that. And, you know, we want to be able to help them and make it simple. Did you feel like there were resources from the technology companies whom uh, you know were being sourced for their services? Did they provide anything to help you know better understand how to maximize the technology, or were most of the resources or training coming from the districts who you know both had to manage how to use it and then also how to train educators? Yeah, I think it varied. Uh, like I said earlier, it varied from district to district when it came to the at the district level. I think Hillsborough um, has uh, prided itself. For, for where we were in, in providing a lot of those resources at that time. Um, but I think it, there were a lot of technology companies, and there still are a lot of technology companies that provide access to resources and training and student you know, activities, um, things that integrated into, into different curriculums. Um, I, I worked with Smart a lot early on, Smart Technologies, and, and Microsoft um, had a big impact on both Megan and I, uh, obviously Microsoft in their pro programs like the Innovative Educator Program, um, was they provided a ton of resources into, you know, uh, into helping uh, teachers be, be ready and to get, like I said, get, use the, the resources that they had, but also help 
you know, recognizing that students are being prepared for college and career. And so there are a lot of resources out there, but I think it's a lot of times it's up to the teacher to really take that initiative to seek it out and make it their own because you can't apply a cookie cutter. I mean, Megan, would you agree? You can't apply a cookie cutter, you know, system to every single teacher. Uh, you have to make it your own. Yeah. I was going to Megan's a good, great example of that. I mean, of, of how she, she took, you know, what she wanted to do with donors choose and went after it and made it her own. Right. So, I mean, Right. You have to be able to advocate for yourself for sure. But I think, you know, with the PD and and having teachers shift like that, as well as students, um, it's, you know, it's just a um, just something that that, you know, students and teachers, you know, can benefit from in the end um, with that, with those programs and having teachers that are prepped that way or have that education or have that training background. Um, and being able to get everyone on that on that same playing level. Well, yeah, that's why COVID, you know, has really <laughs> shined a light um, into some dark places, <laughs> I guess, when it came to, you know, technology being used in the classroom. Um, and it all of a sudden was like, oh, we, we really weren't ready. Or, you know, a lot of schools had to implement a lot of things really quickly. Um, and those who had done that, um, had a much easier time of it, but those who who hadn't really embraced the uh, the programs that are out there um, and really embraced them, uh, I can think of several districts, you know, just that come to mind. Um, I think Cobb County is one of them in, in Georgia that we work with, um, and they use Screen Beam technology. You know, they uh, had a huge embrace, you know, of um, of that and of technology and, and training their teachers and getting teachers really uh, involved. Um, and that's just one of the, of the many that, you know, that comes to mind that did that. But a lot of school districts didn't necessarily uh, approach it that way. And so, you know, that was, that was really shown a lot, I think, in the last year. Yeah. And, you know, it gives them kind of a roadmap of, okay, this is, this is what we learned and this is what we're going to do to move forward. And I think that's where a lot of, you know, we're talking about, you know, the CARES money and, and everything. It's just, it's, it's great. It's, it really is. I mean, taking something like as, as a pandemic to now, you know, kind of bridge that digital divide, I think is just going to be something that's going to be um, something that can be adapted moving forward. We heard a little bit about this from David already, so I'm going to pose this one your way, Megan, but I'm curious how you approached building some of the activities within your curriculum that used technology, but uh, turned them into a more strategic part of your broader curriculum. So the core question here is, how did you take these technologies and make them a structured and... um, you know, cohesive part of a larger curriculum for your students. So there, with that, as a as a teacher, you're always kind of doing that backwards planning and trying to figure out what do they need to know to you know to move on to to learn you know the next concept that may build on that concept. So for me, it was taking the time to actually. Um, test out the different technologies that I was using. For example, um, at the time, I was a big advocate and user of OneNote Class Notebook, um, a a Microsoft application that really 
really opened um, my eyes and my students' eyes to what what is possible when we're all able to collaborate together, where I'm able to to not have to take home 50 student binders, actual physical binders, you know, and throw them on my shoulder. I could just look at their digital portfolios or digital notebooks online at home. And so I felt like I really had to test it out myself and I was a big user of it. And I was like, this is going to be, this is something I could use in the classroom. So I, I think that the biggest thing is to actually figure out and understand what the technology is and how you can actually use it to make it work for, you know, your students, figuring out the most engaging way for uh, my students to learn a concept or skill. Like, how can I use an application like Flipgrid or how can I use, you know, these these really awesome technology pieces that were engaging, um, you know, fun quizzes like Kahoot and um, Socrative, different kinds of applications that, yeah, they're fun. My kids were going to love it, but I had to have a purpose behind it. So it's kind of always going back to, yes, they have devices now, but am I just letting them sit there and read on them? Or are we actually going to use the full functionality of our device with our camera and, you know, research with, uh, you know, have having that digital uh, citizenship um, badge in life, basically saying, you know, that, you know, I'm going to be respectful online and kind of going through all of that and then building that and then bring it all back to, towards using those different modalities to help reach my students. And another thing that I want to touch on is, is giving them choice too. So I feel like being strategic with what I wanted to use and then giving them choice and letting them know, like, if you want to express yourself using, you know, showing that you understand the skill in a Word document, great. In a PowerPoint, awesome. In a Sway, even better. Whatever they wanted to do, it was just a way of, um, they just had to, to show me that it would it would work for them and that I could understand that they understood the topic and the skill that I was trying to get across. So I think, again, just kind of wrapping it all back up is just actually taking the time to understand the application. And I think a lot of teachers, you know, have been exposed, excuse me, to so many different applications, especially in the past year, you know, Canvas, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, and having to really uh, just kind of go with the flow. And I commend them because that's something that's not easy, especially if you're not used to that. So, so yeah, I just, I think it's just all about planning for sure. All right. Thanks for all that context. Thank you to both of you for giving us the recap on your time in the space. I think that helps set up some of the factors that were already influencing the struggle that educators saw integrating technology during COVID. And I think will give us a nice bed to work with with where you're coming from as we get deeper into a conversation. So now it's time to get deeper. We're approaching that post-COVID classroom reality. And in that reality, a lot of cultural safety and health norms have shifted. And students have also been given more opportunities to work with one-to-one technology. So the landscape is going to look a bit different. I'm curious, do you think schools are prepared or do you see schools being prepared for this uh, this shift just in general? What are your thoughts? I think like we've talked about, you you do have this this one-to-one piece. And, and Megan and I were talking about this earlier. Um, you, know, you have this idea of one-to-one and 
is that going to apply immediately to every single classroom in a post-COVID environment? I, my opinion is no, uh, because I, I don't think, number one, you're, you're going to see a lot of schools, when you just get down to the logistics of things, you're going to see a lot of schools that they're not going to get a lot, of, a lot of devices back, if they, especially if they purchased a lot of low-cost devices that were you know, run through the ringer. Uh, everybody was sitting with it at home. Um, and, you know, there was not a lot of, you know, guidance. I know I've, I've looked at Reddit and looked at a lot of the other, a lot of threads online and, and seen a lot of teachers and school districts talking about, yeah, we, we've replaced, you know, devices like, you know, for one, several, some students three or four times, you know, we don't expect, we have no expectations of a lot of them. I've even heard one district say, yeah, we, we really don't have any expectations of getting some of these devices back. Um, and, and so I think a lot of schools are prepared for, for reality. I don't think a lot of school districts are going to say, okay, every single classroom now all of a sudden is one-to-one. Because as we were talking about earlier with teachers, you you don't have every teacher that's ready to even embrace that um, coming back into the classroom. So, you know, I I don't think that force of being in a one-to-one environment is going to be there immediately for everybody because I just think there's going to be a lot of logistics that have to be worked out. There is going to be more of it than, you know, immediately impact. There's going to be an immediate impact of saying there's more um, uh, one-to-ones. But some schools, again, aren't even necessarily prepared from a uh, infrastructure level. And that's where a lot of these COVID, you know, we're going to talk about this, but that's where a lot of this, you know, CARES money and and, um, other funds that are coming is going to go towards helping school districts beef that up. Um, But... But I don't think I think schools are prepared, but I think they're prepared for reality, not necessarily prepared for shifting everybody into a one to one. That's just yeah, that's my opinion. But I think it's based it is based on, you know, uh, hearing from other districts, hearing what schools are seeing happen a lot of places. Yeah. And, and in addition to that, you know, I think that, you know, especially last summer, the schools seeing the importance of professional development for teachers and giving them that support. So kind of looking at it through that lens as well, that now that more students in classrooms are forced, not forced, but maybe will be eventually in that one-on-one environment in the classroom um, or that hybrid model, um, as students return, it's it's going to be a big shift for teachers and students. But, you know, there's also a lot of educational prof- professional development training companies out there that have, you know, that districts have already tapped into to help grow and, you know, with partners like Microsoft or Dell, um, Google and things like that, that, you know, they know that they have to skill up as well to kind of keep up and to not let more students fall behind. Yeah, I think a lot of those partners have really stepped up and grown over the years. Megan and I both worked for for different ones at different times and, and even now still doing some work, you know, uh, with NCCE, as Megan mentioned earlier, I2E connection, you know, they've got a, a whole arm of, of being able to help, you know, school districts specifically aligned with training. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is going to be a shift. Is it going to be for everybody? My opinion is no. Um, it's not going to be all of a sudden every single class is, but they're, it, they are preparing. It's just, it's going to be a process just like, you know, like we, we expected uh, and, and a lot of schools are prepared for it. It's just going to be a process. Let's bring wireless technology into the conversation. Do you think that wireless tech that allows for that physical decentralization of learning is going to be an essential piece of supporting this new 
both one-to-one tech norm as well as sort of the cultural and health norm shifts that we've seen? Yes, no, why or why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I I have a lot of soapbox opinions about this. About this <laughs> and stuff. we can we, uh, we can save those for a little bit because I'll give you more of an opportunity <laughs> to uh, to whip the soapbox out. Yeah, but I mean, I think I, I don't think that's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't think I think the wireless technology. I think it's referring main, mainly to things like Teams and like Zoom and and um, and those kind of tools that that have been brought into education. Um, really fast. Now, I think those are ready um, and, and those will allow for a more decentralized learning environment and they are supported. However, there is a lot of research and more recent stuff that points to the fact that that's not necessarily going to be good for everybody. So that's that's without going too deep into that and maybe we'll have, I think we will have some time I think to, to talk about that a little more. But I, I think that that yes, there is support for it um, for physically decentralized learning for sure, um, because it's just had to happen. But is that going to be the new norm coming back for everybody? I, I think no, and there's several reasons. And I think one of the biggest ones is that it is not for everybody. I, I worked um, with Hillsborough County. I, I worked and kind of implemented the, the the LMS that we did for professional development using Moodle. I was one of the first people to kind of get certified in the district on 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 implementing that for for learning for as a learning management system. And the bottom line is, it's just not everybody learns well online. It doesn't. It's not a good thing for everybody. And in fact, for some people, it's a really bad way to learn. Um, and and I, we're, that's bearing out. I think right now we're seeing a lot of that um, in some of these some of these research that's being done recently. Like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, the core of this conversation also centers on how educators can utilize federal relief funding to help them transition through this difficult time of integrating more technology into the classroom. So I want to now break down some of those uh, more recent funds that are put in place to support educators. The American Rescue Plan, which uh, is about $1.9 trillion of support across various industries, has set aside $122 billion for education programs alone. So I'm curious, how does this plan differ compared to some of the last several stimulus programs? Are there any key differences we need to keep in mind as we begin to analyze how to make the most of this money? I think the biggest difference here to to bring up is that education is now going to be receiving five times more than they did with the original CARES Act in March of 2020. I mean, that's a huge number. And the new relief package is, is yeah, it's just definitely going to help students. It's going to help educators. It's going to help districts um, nationwide. And, you know, certain certain aspects of education, like child care, Head Start, K-12, higher ed, are getting different portions of that money. And I think it's, it's really going to help, again, kind of going back to that, that digital divide, um, that I referenced earlier is that, you know, this money is going to help in addition to the efforts that are going in to bridge that digital divide um, and how, it, how, how people are more advocating for that digital equity and, and taking those measures. And I think that, you know, with the money that's coming in, um, school leaders are really going to have a responsibility to integrate 
technology in a more proactive, intentional way and create a positive and supportive environment for teachers and students to develop their digital competencies that we referenced earlier, you know? So I think that it's going to be different for sure. Yeah. And well, I think also the, I think also the timing of it, obviously that's something that's by, by nature is just that it's there, but the timing of it is also really important uh, to think about as a difference because everything's, you know, we've kind of gotten, I'd say this with, you know, fingers crossed, right. We've kind of gotten through the worst of, of the COVID uh, situation. And so people are now kind of able to, to refocus a little bit differently, um, with their funds and how it's spent at both the state level and the district level. Um, and, and I think that's a, a breakdown that we can look at as well. Like, you know, there is requirements that, that schools have um, and districts have, but that, but again, it, it comes down to education, really, not just schools and districts, really. What do they look at at the state level? How do they approach this from a district level? Um, but the timing is definitely a big part of it. You know, we, we've been through the worst of things. You know, we can say that hopefully with some level of confidence, now what, right? So now, now how do we really buckle down, like Megan said, and really approach it in the right way? Right. And knowing what we know now. Yeah. And before it was just like, here's all this money. Let's buy a bunch of devices and, <laughs> you know, give them to people and then we'll buy, you know, this and we'll, we'll make it work, you know, and it was just kind of like throwing everything they possibly could at it. And so now I think there's a lot more deliberate uh, approach to it. Not that schools were just willy-nilly spending money, but there's some certainly because it was urgent at that time. And now it's like, okay, let's slow down a little bit and really rethink this. And like they're being more being more strategic too, I think is just really gonna be it make a difference here is that you know it's the digital equity includes, you know, educational technology integration inside and outside of the classroom. So for for educators, from educators to policymakers, you know. People have become more aware, I feel like, of those digital inequalities. And, you know, and I know today's leaders are working to bridge that digital divide and create a more resilient and equitable educational system. I mean, I feel like this this really could run deep um, and to really help bring bring up places, bring up students, bring up teachers, educators, everybody um, in a place where they they feel like they're getting that that fair and access um to to their education. There are a lot of key requirements that are in the American Rescue Plan that shape how schools can spend this money, both at the state level and the district level. So what I'd like to do now is break those down with more detail with both of you. Uh, so let's start at the uh, district level. Uh, I know that it's divided up sort of by percentage as well as general uh, you know, areas of concern where you should spend the money. This is everything from addressing learning loss to mental health services to um, implementing activities for operation and continuity of services. And that also includes technology integration. So this is all kind of part of the same thing, but we need to understand what those requirements are so we know how to act. So can you break those down for us at the uh, district level? Um, at the local education, which a lot of people call it LEA or um, the local education authority, they, they do have responsibilities, um, you know, to how they use their funds, you know, within 30 days, I think, of using funds, they have to have a plan. Um, and then in addition to that, at least, you know, 20 percent of those funds have to be used to address those things you talked about, learning loss, um, and, and, 
and all those kind of things and really do that approach that from you know an evidence-based perspective um the rest of those funds after that you know you can use them for different things um and different uh different uh, programs that that are uh, essentially already available elementary and secondary education act um individuals with disability act um career and technical education those kind of things so you know that they when it comes to technology though and that's that's really an interesting thing to think about when they have to have a plan within 30 days so right now schools are already planning um you know doing that right now so as technology comes into that um they do have latitude to be able to purchase educational technology which includes hardware and software and connectivity stuff um accessibility uh technology assistive technology adaptive technology uh, which certainly can play a large role in in uh, a lot of schools, um, and so that particular piece of it is super important because um, I've been on some some uh, webinars on a on a global level with uh, some folks over in the UK talk about you know what schools are now doing behind implementing. Um, you know, when they get all these devices back, how do they keep them charged? How do they, you know, how do they then use them in the classroom? So there's going to have to be stuff that's uh, adapted to that. Um, and that certainly is a big part of instructional. I was just on the phone with the district as well, you know, saying, well, we, we purchased cameras, you know, for our classroom, but now we've got to be able to implement them in the right way for maybe they're trying for a hybrid environment. Um, so does, you know, how does then the, the Zoom or Teams um, call happen in the classroom. How do we have the technology to make that work? And so, those are those can be really expensive um, implementations. And so, again, um, the the local those those decisions happen at the local education agency level. Um, states really have nothing to do with that. States are really more, you know, um, looking at the kind of the 10,000 foot view and saying what's happening in in education in our state where are the gaps what's the evidence behind learning loss what have we lost um you know in the last year because that certainly is a, a real number that they have to look at and then how do we provide you know how do we address that um at the state level and help schools get some guidance towards that uh, so that's really how it's broken down, I think, um, and, you know, it, it's not an easy thing to do because, like Megan said, it is a ton of money, right? So, you know, I, I was in charge of a budget that was, you know, we were looking at spending, you know, something where $150,000. Like, oh, that's that's really, it was really tough. <laughs> but then all of a sudden you look at this number and you're like, wow, you know, that's a lot of things to deal with. Right. And I think that uh, I wanted to also point out that the other key difference, too, with this second round or this third round of stimulus is that, and David, I think you mentioned, is that they have now there's that certain percentage requirements on the use of the funds where planning needs to have, you know, just like we said, could be more intentional on how it's categorized, how it's tracked. And, you know, with that, that's where, you know, I feel like companies like us and 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 Microsoft and you know other other places that are you know really tapping in to help make things easier for educators because they know you know that it's a struggle i mean it's it's real and the more money you know i'm not i'm going to quote you know, notorious B.I.G., you know, more money, more problems. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, you know, like it's not saying yeah, it's more problems, exactly right. but like, but you have, 
you, you have more access to this money. So I just, you know, we just want to make sure that they're being, they're being deliberate in those decisions. And just like David said, said being strategic. And from Screenbee's perspective, what we have talked about way before COVID is, is getting the most out of what you have. And, and that's where, you know, we have significant resources on our website and 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 the powerpoints that we talk about and the discussions that we have the talks that we've done about looking at okay what are you getting your teachers um, we've had some really great discussions recently with some some technology companies that talk about okay we're also having issues with retaining teachers right so teachers are leaving the profession right and in large numbers because of of this that's happened uh, you know over the last year um, so how do we figure out how to retain teachers? Well, we want to provide them with the best technology that we have, but we also want teachers to use it in the right way. So what we've established is you know, a really great way to look at, okay, providing teachers with a premium experience in the classroom where they're going to have a really great teaching device that they can use when they come back um, or if they're already back, and then giving them the flexibility with ScreenMeme to use it like it was meant to be used, right? So I can walk around the room. I have a walking digital whiteboard in my hand. Uh, because of screen beam, I can connect to the screens in the front of the room. I can write on my device. I can hand it off to a student. I can take pictures with it. Um, I can take video with it. And it's all happening on one device. And was it a more expensive device? Yes. But because I'm using it in a in a in a premium way, in the, in a, a much better experience way with ScreenBeam, and making that look really well, look really good, and also function really well. Then all of a sudden you're getting more functionality out of the stuff that you're purchasing and you're you're having a, a much happier teaching experience, much better teaching experience with technology. And we've got tons of ways to talk about that, you know, and how that works. And districts eat that stuff up because they look at it and they say, Oh, okay, well, I didn't realize I, I could do that and make it work that way and make it look like that. And now all of a sudden my budget that I have even expands even further. And that's really, you know, I'll, I'll toot our own horn. We're, we're really good at that, <laughs> helping people see that picture, uh, to see that picture and say, yeah, you know, and then the partners that we work with, um, you know, we're able to partner with them and say, look, this is a package that that puts it together for you, that actually saves you money, but gives you a, a better experience. And then they can look at budget budgeting for other things that maybe are more that are less concrete that they say, you know, you may be a little more afraid to approach um, that uh, that require funds, you know, like assistive technologies and mental health services and learning loss, you know, those kind of things um, are, are really difficult to approach sometimes because that's not necessarily, you know, when you look at pedagogy and the, and the real teaching craft, it happens in the classroom, but now you're talking about mental health services. <laughs> you know, those those are a little more difficult to approach when it comes to funds. So if we provide a solution that says, here, here's how to make it easy in the classroom for your teachers to teach, uh, gives them a really good experience, um, lets them get a really good you know uh, device in their hands with ScreenBeam, they're able to use it wirelessly as you would expect to be able to do. Oh, wow, that's really easy. Now I can approach the other things with a little more um, scrutiny. Now, if we look at the higher state level, how do the requirements differ there? Because I know that there is something like 87.5% of the funds uh, that are required to be allocated and then something like 12.5% 
is allowed to be retained uh, and states have to then spend their funding in different percentage markers. Anything else you can break down for us? Um, it's a really tough one. Um, you know, we we do work at, you know, the, the government level and a lot of stuff we do as ScreenBeam does in the, you know, overseas and in different different countries because the education is approached much differently in, in other parts of the world. It does sometimes happen on a more national level or a state level uh, when it comes to making these decisions. Um, so state funding is is approached for us is not something that we, we talk a lot about, but it is something that um, that we do have to be aware of and that if we can help districts, you know, be aware of that. I think most of them have, you know, uh, liaisons that are that are doing that at the, you know, at the administrative level. Um, so we, we don't really get that too much, but it does require uh, that 87%, 87.5% of their funding to school districts, um, you know, it, it does require those, uh, some of those monies to be poured into like the Title I schools and, and other things that generally receive, generally receive more funding. Um, and so some of that does have to be broken down that way. But as you know, Megan and I were talking about earlier, those Title I schools are oftentimes where the biggest achievement gap is, the biggest equity gap is. And so school districts have to think about that as well. And, um, you know, that's, that's, a, it's a, that's a hard conversation to have, you know, because you, you pour a ton of money into some of these schools and you, you want to see the results. But COVID has taken all a lot of the achievements that have been made in those areas and it has blown them wide open again unfortunately and that's just i think it's the reality of it um but it's it's an unfortunate uh side effect of of covid and, and what's happened in a lot of our schools yeah one thing i wanted to add david there is also kind of going back to the question or going back to the article of, on 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 tech and learning about the do's and don'ts with the one-time funding is that, you know, beyond devices and digital content, professional learning, assessment solutions, and learning platforms, those are all beneficial and, and necessary aspects of a, a digital rich learning plan. And these one-time funds are going to be great kickstarters for these long-term technology plans. And I feel like it, though these, these one-time funds are going to help schools that, you know, that, that Dave and I both taught at. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. it's really going to um, really help and, you know, help bridge that gap for sure. Yeah. And the, the, the idea of a big win when I was there at this, this district level was E-rate funding, right? And so there's that's always been something that a lot of that goes to those uh, Title I schools, um, some of those things. Um, you know, they, they have tons of money poured into access, you know, and affordability for students. Um, all that's still going to continue. But I think, as Megan said earlier, made the point of now it's just a lot more funding that they have to be able to be aware of. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. I mean, that's the bottom line with all this. It's it's a huge challenge for a lot of districts. But again, I think it does really, really true. What I said earlier is that, you know, how do you maximize it? How do you and what's some easy ways to do that? And and again, we feel like we provide a really good pathway for that if you have that discussion uh, with us. Let's go ahead and get into what those discussions look like by uh, 
getting into ScreenBeam's involvement. Obviously, a wireless collaborative technology is ScreenBeam's bread and butter. So I want to further break down how this tech may help meet a lot of today's classroom needs. So how have you seen COVID reshape how students and teachers integrate with this collaborative tech into the classroom? Uh, and especially when we uh, consider the fact that most tech investments were remote or hybrid learning tech over the last year? Where does wireless in-class technology differ or uh, sort of coexist with those previous investments? So when it comes to what COVID has done to, to, to kind of re, reshaping what, uh, what teachers are doing in the classroom um, and that investment in hybrid learning, one of the things that I think has bared out uh, over the last year is the fact that we, we've seen a lot of learning loss. <laughs> um, and that's been unfortunate. But I, I would I say that's specifically um, you know, pointed at the hybrid or the remote environment. Um, I don't know if you can say to the to the T that yes, absolutely. But just recently, there's been several research uh, studies done. Uh, Brown University did one, McKinsey and Company did one, Rand Corporation did one about the severity of impact from COVID um, and and what that has, how that has affected students, and why I think what we're seeing is why it's important to bring students actually physically back to the classroom, um, and and, and, and in a second, I'll really talk about how ScreenBeam is really a critical piece of that 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 part. But, you know, there's a uh, Stanford said and uh, one of the research says that estimates that the average American student has already lost half a year of learning in reading and over a full year of learning in math since the p pandemic has begun. Um, and that's really tough to think about. And again, especially like I said earlier, is that we've worked so hard in the last 20 years to to find those achievement gaps and to close those gaps and then all of a sudden they, they've kind of widened because students are a lot more students are remote and as i said earlier it's just not for everybody everybody can't learn that way it's not sustainable um, it's not a sustainable model and I, I will go out on a limb and i maybe it's going against some of the other people that i've talked to recently um, but i will say that hybrid learning is also not a sustainable model for everybody even for the teachers having to do both remote and in person at the same time i, I just I, every teacher i've talked to that has had to do that they don't love it, right? They're doing it because it's what's required of them right now and because they're warriors, right? They're teacher warriors that are out there battling to make it work for their students because they love their students and they love their craft. But is that something that, that we're going to have to contain, sustain for years and years and years? Um, you know, I don't think so because, again, because the research is bearing out that it just, those students who it's affected has really affected them negatively. Um, and, you know, they're, they're seeing significant learning lost, um, you know, over, over this time period. Uh, Megan, I mean, I know you worked with a lot of students on a different level than I did. You know, do you, could you see a lot of your students that you worked with, you know, thriving in a hybrid or a uh, remote environment? Not, you know, not necessarily, David. I mean, I've taught, you know, a range of, of students at different. That's true. Yeah, at different levels, at, you know, socioeconomic status. And, you know, it with all of this going on, I mean, my heart really sinks thinking about the students that were that were in my classroom that were already considered below level, maybe sometimes two grade levels below where they, you know, should be on average. And 
throw a pandemic on top of it, um, I think that it's just creating a lot of, like you said, more gaps. And I think it's important also to bring up the importance of mental health as well and yeah, yeah. giving, ha- making sure that money is appropriately spent on that because it's really important. And, you know, it's a really tough time to be a human right now, but let alone <laughs> a, you know, let alone be an elementary student and yeah. a middle school, a high schooler. And it's really tough for them. And, you know, speaking to lots of different people with, with kids in different aspects um, and different stages in their life, it's, it's really sometimes just gut wrenching yeah. that yeah. there's just this, this loss, um, you know, on top yeah. of having to deal with um, not just being maybe home, it may be not in an environment that's safe for them, that school was their yeah. safe place, yeah. you know, and, um, or dealing with members that may have been affected by COVID and that, that are sick or, you know, God forbid dying. So it's, yeah, it's just, you know, a matter of, um, just just really putting using the funds appropriately to really truly help um students yeah. and that yeah yeah well i think i think that it puts the imperative more uh for for us i think we look at that and i know we're looking at it through the lens of screen beam but if the studies are showing that students are falling behind academically as well as socially then you know it's imperative we think to look at that as okay how do we plan for these these students that are coming back that are going to be back and that that have to come back um and so that idea of having a teacher that's um comes back like i said earlier with the right technology in their hands that's able to use it the way it was meant to be used that's able to have that mobility in the classroom um to have a reliable uh solution um like screen beam and and that allows them to have that contactless experience um, as well, right? So I can walk into a room, connect my screen to the front of the room, and now I'm working with those students that are there. And if I need to do something hybrid, yeah, we've got solutions for that 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 we have coming up that are really exciting um, that allow you to do that. But getting that in-class experience, getting the students back to where they're most successful academically, which is in the room, and being able to have that that tangible experience, um, but still be safe about it is really important. And so if I look at that from a technology perspective, from a collaborative technology perspective, you know, with things like Classroom Commander, like we have that allows the students to also share their content to the front of the room, um, those are really important to think about. Uh, the hybrid environment is is a little tougher to work in. Um, you know, but I think will that be there in a lot of places? Yes, but I think we're going to see that dwindle, um, you know, maybe to more relegated classes that maybe have specifically teachers that are dealing with remote students rather than teachers that are doing both at the same time. Um, I, you know, I've said that from the beginning, I just don't see that as a sustainable model for most teachers and districts to have to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I could be wrong. <laughs> and as educators maneuver the future of hybrid, wireless in the classroom, and integrating all of this into their curriculum, where do you think educators need the most technology support uh, to improve that day-to-day instruction, and why? So I think educators need um, support First and foremost um, is 
to have to be able to to have that day to day instruction and to be and you know smooth transitions and whatnot. I think first they need a reliable device, whether it's, you know, a Windows 10 machine or, or whatnot, that it's something that they can use the full functionality of that. And in addition to a reliable device, you know, a, a display or something that uh, can, the students can see, but behind the scenes of all of that, you know, the if the teacher's walking around without cords, they need wireless, they would need some sort of wireless display solution. And that's, you know, where we come in now, not to talk about product, but but yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I mentioned this yet, but ScreenBeam is something that I used in my classroom. And I think that it really literally untethered me from the front of the room. And I'm I'm super active and agile anyway. And so in the classroom, I'm just the same and as, as well as clumsy. So if my students were around the room, you know, before it was cool, before it was social distance, just kidding, not saying it was ever cool <laughs> to be socially distant in the classroom, but my students were spread out and they were able to work in, a, in wherever they wanted that was an, a safe place uh, that I could see them. But I could also see their screens because they had devices. I had I could see their screens using Classroom Commander. I wasn't having to run over and see what, you know, Johnny was working on. I could see it on my screen while I was still in a small group with a student. So it's something that I'm super passionate about. And so I think that educators really need to have at least some sort of wireless display like solution like ScreenBeam, a reliable device. And, you know, they don't have to have the best projectors. They could have, if they have existing projectors, great. If they have some sort of display or a monitor, great. Uh, I just think it's something that, uh, something that they definitely need to support. And I think students need uh, a device again that is reliable. They need to have, um, you know, training, if you will, with these platforms they're learning that they're learning on. For example, like Canvas. And I know students are very, um, very agile and quick to learn things. And I, you know, used to always learn, and I still learn from from either my nieces or from my former students. Where I would be like, okay, how do I do this? You know, I felt like I was always aging myself, but they were also teaching me, you know, but I feel like they need to have that device. They need to have that support. They need to know what applications they're using and why they're using it, not just because this is something that our district wants us to use. This is why I'm using it and and whatnot. So I think that um, kind of presents also those collaborative opportunities. Uh, for example, in the classroom, if if David, for instance, was in the far right corner of the room and our screen was on the other side of the room, I could just take one click and project his screen to the front of the room or to wherever the wherever my actual uh, large fo format display was. And that that's powerful. And we can be collaborative in this environment. We can be still be collaborative in a in a COVID classroom in a pre in, in ONA COVID. A classroom during COVID, excuse me, yeah, during the COVID yeah. times. We have an expectation um, what, what, where do teachers need the most technology, right? So I think you got to be careful about that too when you say it to some teachers, you know, it's like, oh, I don't need technology to teach. Well, that's true. Um, but in fact, the matter is, it's just the reality. It's the air we breathe right now. So what our job, part of the partly a screen beam again, is to, is to get the technology out of the way, right? We don't want teachers... Um, we, we've described this several times is you don't want a teacher walking into a room and having a battle station that they go and sit at where they've got their their computer and their document camera and their 
their DVD player and their other things all sitting there in one big battle station. And that's where they stay when they teach, mm -hmm. you know, if it's you're not doing 1990 it, anymore. Yeah, you know? exactly. But that's what you see in a lot of places. So if you you're provide right. them, you bring them back to an environment where they know they have flexibility, where you're providing them with, like Megan said, a reliable device that can connect to a screen in the front of the room and be able to share content with students, be able to see students' content. That's where they need the technology to get out of the way. And if you're plugging in cables and if you're plugging in wires and you're running cords and you're you know, doing all those things, that's not, that's getting in the way, right? And that's, that's where teachers tend to, um, you know, tend to get frustrated. And um, we don't want that to happen, right? We want to provide them with the right environment to do that. And, and, uh, and, and provide that great experience too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, just with, with anything, if, if it doesn't work and the way it's supposed to work when it's in the classroom, you know, teachers, again, like we've talked to this whole podcast, teachers have other things that they're worrying about and having to take care of. So we want to be able to provide a solution that is, that is simple um, and, and easy to use. Yeah. Team, I think that does it for our conversation today. So I want to thank both of our guests for their quality thought leadership. Again, we've been chatting with David Lopez, Senior Manager of Strategic Alliances, and Megan Lipinczyk, Strategic Alliance Manager, both with ScreenBeam. David, Megan, thank you for your time. And if folks want to find out more about how to maneuver these various requirements for funding or to learn more about ScreenBeam, how can they do so? Oh, yeah, you can uh, visit us at screenbeam.com. Um, obviously, we have our education page, which we're focusing on today. Um, but uh, you can also contact us through that page um, and uh, and reach out. Uh, we, we provide demo devices. Uh, we provide uh, demo units to be able to kind of try this technology out. And um, But also, again, the idea of talking with us about, you know, consulting about how that works in the classroom, um, you know, we're happy to, to be, uh, be a resource for, for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Collaborative Tech Talks, a ScreenBeam podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our site, ScreenBeam.com, and subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.